Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. We've been talking a lot recently about where workers are needed. But there's one sector is absolutely being ignored by a huge number of people. I'm going to tell you where you can potentially make some money in a wage war. Also, I think it's time to talk about the current state of the housing market and where it does look like things are headed now. There are some marketplace solutions we need to talk about. So the Federal Reserve has been doing everything it can to rein in the job market. And still the national unemployment rate is, what is it, 3.6%, something like that. Like so low, it's crazy right now. Very few layoffs happening. The stats are volatile, but recently the stats showed a slowdown in the number of job openings. But at the same time, still far more openings than there are people looking for work. And employers are still granting raises smaller, though, than they were. So the Federal Reserve interest rate increases is having some of the impact the Federal Reserve wants to have. Think about that. How would you like to have a job that you feel you're accomplishing your job when you or I are able to negotiate not as good a raise as we could have before. Wow. But their job is to squeeze the inflation out of the economy. They're most of the way there now, but the last part is the most difficult because you don't want to mess up people's lives and lead to massive unemployment or anything like that. At the same time, the value of the dollar needs to be more stable than it's been. There is one part of the job market, though, that remains so short of workers, it's a stunner. And I mentioned this months ago, but it's even gotten worse than when I mentioned it before. It's local and state government, where finally, economic signals take a while in government to take hold. But it's not every city, not every county, not every state, but pay levels are rising. I've seen it on electronic billboards where they're saying, hey, come work for blah, blah, blah county and and we have jobs paying blah, blah, blah. And it's because local government and state government have, you talk about an aging workforce, they're way aging. And these workers are retiring, and there's nobody to take their places because these jobs are going unsought after, unfilled. May not be your thing, but there may be great opportunities working for a state government or a local government, city or county, and they may, depending where you live, they may come with a public employee pension. 
and almost nobody has pensions anymore. But a pension is the best way for you to have a good shot at financial security in retirement. So I just mentioned that as a possibility for you. State and local governments have always suffered in attracting workers because the pay was always lower than you'd have in the private sector. What's happened, though, is that the gap got much wider and only now are state and local governments starting to close that gap. And so the pay may be better than you expected with potentially better benefits. And you may be doing a job that's a really wonderful public service for your fellow taxpayer where you live. Krista? This first question is from Randy in Washington. Clark, I was rejected for a high-yield savings account. After filling out the bank's application online and giving them my social security number and my mother's maiden name, a pop-up window opened saying they were choosing not to open a HYSA for me. I don't understand. I have a Capital One high-yield savings account with six figures in it, an 840 FICO, and zero debt. I'm confused. Thank you for the service you provide your listeners. I seldom make any decisions without perusing using clark.com first for information all right so i can only speculate randy the number one reason i know this happens is your credit may be frozen if your credit's frozen and the banks are under what's known as the know thy customer rule normally a bank would say if your credit's frozen they'd say we can't verify identity your credit's frozen and then they would ask you to thaw your credit freeze and then they will be able to verify identity with the system they use is based on credit. And then you're good to open the high yield savings account. I think it would be worth it just if your credit is frozen to know that that could be it. And it's a shame that they didn't tell you if that was a reason. If your credit is not frozen, I got no clue why other than if the system they use could not properly verify your identity. And for them, it was like, less hassle, just say, go away. Aaron in Colorado says, I recently received this email from my credit card and I was shocked. Are they really doing this or are they just trying to get people to spend more? And FYI, I have many credit cards from various institutions, plus my usage is under 5%. And I always pay my balances in time and unfold. This is from the credit card company. We're writing you to let you know about an upcoming account review scheduled for September. Over the last few months, several months, the highest balance on this account has been significantly lower than your credit limit. Because of this, your credit limit could be decreased following this review. And it goes on. So um, I did this in a TV story recently. This is something that the credit card companies are starting to get worried that the charge-off rate's going to go up, that the number of people who charge up a card and default is going to go up. So why would they, with you being a very low balance customer who pays your balances in full, why would they put a mark on you and say, oh, well, you know, you're only using a teensy amount of your credit limit, so we're going to cut your credit limit. All right. The reason a company may want to do that, it's completely counterintuitive, is in the Great Recession, people who were your profile 15 years ago would maybe lose their job or something like that 
and then they would have always paid on time. They always paid in full. Then all of a sudden, they would run up the balance all the way up to the limit, and then they'd default. And so credit card companies, anytime there's worry that the economy's slowing, that there's the chance of a recession, they go from being overly exuberant issuing credit to overly cautious restricting or canning credit. So if you don't want this to happen to you, that they cut your limit, what you need to do is, for a while at least, jump through the hoops they've asked you to, charge more on the card in question and less on other cards, and keep paying the balance in full, but just use more of that available credit for a few months, and they'll leave you alone. Otherwise, they're telling you up front, which they usually don't even warn you, they're going to cut your limit. John in Pennsylvania says, I'm on Medicare and have been using eye drops to treat glaucoma. Even with my Part D plan, it was costing over $800 per year. One day I called Medicare about something and the man I was speaking with noticed this expensive medication. He told me the company had a program to supply the drops and that if I met certain conditions, they would supply them for free. The conditions were not very strict, so I and my doctor filled out the application. I just received a three-month supply free of charge. I hope you can use this information. Okay, thank you so much for writing in and sharing this with your fellow podcast listener or viewer, because this is big-time stuff, and it doesn't have to be Medicare. It can be any situation with insurance, without insurance, most often with some form of insurance coverage. Pharmaceutical companies, they all have programs where you can qualify for reduced cost or even free meds if you meet certain conditions, just as you talked about. And so you met those conditions, you got the free meds, and that's uh, at least 90 days worth. That's 200 bucks right back in your pocket of the 800. And so companies have compassionate use programs. Some run them themselves directly. Some run them through third-party services. And if you're faced with a prescription drug that you need to take, it's too expensive, you should see, just as you heard from John, that you may be able to defray or eliminate that expense if you qualify. And John, thank you so much for bringing this up because you don't know how many people you might have helped just right now. Coming up ahead, I want to talk about what's going on in the housing market and what it means to buyers and sellers and others who are renters as well. We're going to talk about all that straight ahead. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations, so you can be ready for the next opportunity. 
revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. I have a friend who relocated from the East Coast to the West Coast recently. He and his wife and their small child, they've been trying to buy a house. It's been an experience like none they've ever had. First of all, the interest rates are the highest they've experienced in their lives buying a home. And second, finding used homes, existing inventory available has been so hard. And so they got outbid on two houses so far. Right now they're in the mix on a third home. They put in their offer. They're the backup contract for a home. We'll see what happens. It's really crazy because the homes are expensive. They're used homes, so they come with a history. They may need work. They may have this, that, or the other. It continues to be so difficult because I've talked in the past about mortgage lock, that all these tens of millions of homeowners who either purchased when interest rates were really low or refied when interest rates were really low, you're really there. You're, you're stuck in that home because if you move, you have to go from, let's say, a two or three point something percent interest rate to seven point something percent. At that, you're like, yeah, you know, this house is pretty nice. I think I'll stay here. We're becoming like the British. The British buy a home and that's it. They're there for their entire lives. And then it may stay in the family and the next generation stays in it. And then the next generation stays in it. They don't move around like we do. We're becoming steadily like that because of odd things in the marketplace. So as a seller, the conditions, if you do need to sell, are very favorable, especially if you have a home that you've lived in a long time, you've had nice appreciation with it, and you're able to sell it. And then whatever you do next, if you do buy something else, you buy something smaller, cheaper, that you can pay cash for, then you're not worrying about the fact that interest rates have gone crazy. But what is a buyer to do? I'm asked over and over again by people, what do I do? And I've turned my advice upside down. Okay, my entire career, going back to the mid-1980s, I have advised you to buy used homes, not new. Historically, the cost per square foot of a used home was typically as much as 30% less per square foot than a new home. Today, though, everything's all crazy. It'll get back to normal, but not for now. And new home builders have really picked up the pace of building. And a new home builder can buy down the mortgage interest rate. For one, two, three, five, 10, 30 years, whatever it is they're doing to try to get a deal closed. They may not cut the official price of the house, but they'll do things like that that effectively discount it. And then for you going forward, you've got an interest rate that effectively doesn't exist anymore, but you have it. And so buying a new home is something I can't believe I'm saying I did not hit my head. But for now, I've change my advice and recommend that. The third thing applies to about 15% roughly more or less 
of homes in the market may have an assumable loan without the interest rate escalating, what's known as assumable non-escalating. You'll have to qualify potentially to take over that loan and you'll have to fill the gap probably with a second mortgage of some kind between what you're having to pay for that home and what you're able to assume on that mortgage. But it gets you more than half a loaf. It gets you a much better rate of interest on a used home. In other words, we're not in a simple linear market. It requires real creativity on your part. Having an experienced real estate agent representing you as a buyer is extremely important right now. Not somebody who just decided to become a real estate agent and you're their first customer they're taking around. No, you want somebody who is truly an experienced person in the market and knows the neighborhood or neighborhoods you're interested in buying in. You don't hire somebody who is an agent in a large metro area who's an agent 20 miles away. They're not even 10 probably. They're not going to know intimately the homes in that neighborhood. You want someone who's known as a farmer. A farmer is somebody who their neighborhoods are the ones that you're interested in buying in. They may even be able to tell you by memory how many bedrooms and bathrooms a house has without even looking it up, driving down a road, when it was built, when it was renovated. That's the kind of person you want as your buyer's agent. And so the market will eventually normalize. It's going to be a good while, though, because it's going to take a long time for the ultra-cheap mortgage rates that people have who are already in a home to run off and bring the market back to a normal cycle. I mentioned that I was going to say something about renting. Renting is becoming a huge deal in most markets now versus buying. The rental apartment industry has built more units in recent years than any time in history. Record numbers. So the apartment market is getting more and more supplied. Rents are dropping in many cities at the same time that housing costs, buying a house, so very high. So renting provides a relief valve that can help you at a time that the housing market is so kind of stuck. Krista? Greg in California says, I've noticed over the past many months that my cell service at my home is slowly diminishing. I have two cell phones, one for work, one for personal. One's an iPhone, the other Android, and one is on the big V, Verizon, and the other T-Mobile. This is happening to both phones, such that a year ago, both had full bars at home. Now both have zero bars at home. The explanation Verizon gave me was that when they shut down the 3G network, all the 3G people moved to 4G and it's overloaded the system. The only option I have is to upgrade to a 5G phone. While this seems like a reasonable explanation, it seems suspicious. And to further my suspicions, I'm now noticing very diminished service all over the city and county, not just my neighborhood anymore. It's getting worse over the last few weeks, which seems counterintuitive. As people buy new phones, less 4G should be out there. Is their explanation correct, or do you have a better one? Yeah, let me tell you what's going on. You know, we used to call 4G LTE the 3G dark, right? It's gone. 
But the 4G is also being cut back. And I'm imagining the decline at your home. There's a tower. You know, companies don't have their own towers anymore. They've sold, they've gotten out of that business almost completely. So you'll have a tower that was near your home that probably Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile were all on. And they probably have replaced the 4G infrastructure on that tower with only 5G. Why the big push for 5G? Because the capacity of 5G for them is so much better, so much cheaper for them to serve customers than 4G. Obviously, 3G is dead. And so what you're going to find is that the 4G experience, no matter who you're on, no matter where you live in the country, is going to steadily deteriorate. And the companies basically are making your existing Android and iPhone obsolete because neither of them apparently run on 5G. Sometimes the companies will allow you to have certain phones for free just for migrating from 4G to 5G because it saves them so much money as you're hitting 5G transmission instead of 4G. So you are completely right. Anybody still on a legacy 4G phone is going to find their experience deteriorate to the point that it's going to be like, I have no useful service anymore. You may in fact see that. Rob in Missouri, this is actually going back to what you talked about earlier, says I'm in the process of selling my current home with a two and a half percent interest rate. Don't we'll, give it up. Don't do it. Don't do it. And we'll be purchasing <laughs> another home using the proceeds when sold in addition to $100,000 in cash, making an approximate total towards the new home of 250000 The question is, should I consider my credit union for a loan over a local bank, even if the bank's interest rate is less for a 10 or 15 year fixed rate loan? I've heard refinancing with a credit union is less expensive and I'd like to refinance when the rates drop in the, over the next few years. Or should I find the lowest rate and worry about refi costs at a later date? All right. So first of all, I hate it. You're having to give up the two and a half percent. I love it. These got so much money to put towards the new home that you're looking only at a 10 or 15 year mortgage. Fantastic. Almost certainly there will be a refinancing time as interest rates go through cycles. I would not worry about the refi cost right now. I'd go, if you're finding a better mortgage rate from a local bank, take it and then worry about refinancing later and the cost of doing so when that time comes. You may be curious, why is it that a credit union may be able to do a refi on an existing credit union loan so much cheaper than a bank will do it? Well, inquiring minds want to know, and here's the answer. A lot of credit unions issue mortgage loans, what the industry calls in-portfolio, meaning the credit union makes the loan itself, holds it on its books, and when they do a refi, they don't have to go through all the rigmarole and hassle you do with a bank refi, where what does a bank do when you take out a mortgage with them? Almost 100% of the time, they sell that loan off in the secondary market. And when you want to refi, it's a fresh start. You're starting all over 
and you all those closing costs you had the first time, you have again. With credit unions, and not all do, but with a credit union that holds loans on their books, a refi is just a simple administrative process internally in that credit union. And that's why it's so much cheaper, if not free. Mark in New York says, Clark, in the event of a catastrophic damage to my home, should I engage an independent adjuster to negotiate with the insurance company or not? If so, where would be the best place to find a good one? So an independent adjuster is not an automatic thing you should do. If your insurer is treating you as an opponent, as an adversary, as as some people say they feel like the insurer treats them like they're a crook trying to make a claim, that's when you want to consider hiring an independent claims adjuster. They vary in quality and training and experience enormously. There is a trade association where you should be able to find legitimate independent claims adjusters. And I have an article at Clark.com that walks you through how to find somebody who's an NAIIA member and also talks you through when you should consider hiring an independent adjuster. They're also known as a public adjuster. Public adjuster, yeah. yeah. They're called both. And depends on the state often, because insurance is regulated by the state. So they'll often be referred to as public adjusters or independent adjusters, depending on what part of the country. But uh, our article is slugged, six things to know and do before you deal with a home insurance claim adjuster. If you go read that, we talk about hiring an independent adjuster or public adjuster, whichever it's called, and walk you through the right way to do it. But no, it's not an automatic. Uh, I have this claim, so I got to go hire my own adjuster. It really depends on the circumstances. And know this, what are we about? You learning ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. I hope the rest of your day is fantastic. And know that if you have a question you need an answer to, you're trying to deal with the problem, you need guidance or advice, know that we offer that six hours each weekday and have done so for almost 31 years for free you can talk with someone at the team clark consumer action center you can see all the details how to reach us and what hours available if you go to clark.com slash cac have a great one